Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this new crazy mother. What's up, monkeys? Monkey Dan here, and welcome to the Live Wild or Die podcast. On this episode, I am so pleased to welcome the wild man and really the renaissance man of health, wellness, fitness, nutrition, that whole genre, Logan Schwartz. And I first heard Logan speak on another podcast. It was the Primal Endurance Podcast, which I've referenced this episode actually a few times now. But this was a few years ago, and the conversation he had with Brad Kearns was just it really stuck with me. And it's, it's, it's honestly a conversation I've been thinking about just those principles and these high level concepts for years now. So it was such a pleasure to get on the mic with Logan and get to ask him more specific questions and just really explore how he's thinking about fitness and nutrition. So Logan, he's got such a wealth of information of knowledge, and I would really consider it wisdom as well. Just going over his stats real quick here. He's the director of programming at your trainer. He's been doing that since 2015. He was the basketball strength and conditioning coach for the university of Texas at Austin from 2007 to 2015. He was the performance specialist and director of internship programming for train for the game 2004 to 2007. He's got a degree in kinesiology from the university of Texas at Austin. He has a Bachelor of Science, excuse me, he also has a master's in kinesiology from the University of Texas at Austin. He's a National Strength and Conditioning Association Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist. He's got like nine certs from the Gray Institute, which is like a movement institute. And they're just, again, they're thinking on a next level as far as movement and just this holistic approach. He has a yoga certification. He's an animal flow instructor certified and a primal health coach. And this is a conversation that I know for sure I need to listen to like seven more times and take notes. It's just, he's, he's really approaching things from a first principles principle standpoint. And he's kind of get this like Socratic approach to training fitness and nutrition. And you know, the one, I think the biggest takeaway I got from our conversation and is in just our modern world, probably the most important thing is just creating an environment that allows you to move more and eat better. It's just, it's, it's very simple yet so profound. So get out your notebook and, uh, we're going to go for a journey here and here we go. Yeah. Brad's been a good friend. I was on a, it was random how things work. I was on a, the first podcast I was on was this guy that had a, a, a speed golf podcast and Brad was into speed golf, you know, obviously. And so he heard me on that and he was like, Oh, you should be on that. And then I was on his, and then I was on Mark systems or the primal blueprint one. And then it's just kind of escalated from there, but I don't, I don't do a whole lot of podcasts. Okay. I don't have a book. I don't have anything to sell. So I'm not ever on them. (laughs) I don't have a book. I don't have anything. So like I always come on here and I'm like, I'm like, I just like to talk about this stuff. So, yeah, no, I appreciate it. Well, it was like, I was like, well, he should have a podcast because it's such it's like you're saying things that don't get said by enough people, you know? So I really appreciate I, hearing that. I like, I like that. Uh, I like kind of having no, I'm a very, I'm a very deep thinker, <laughs> but I, I like having no, um, attachment, I guess, to the, uh, to the thing. I'm not trying to defend a position. I'm really just trying to say what I've observed, um, uh, what I observe and what I know, uh, to be, I, I guess, the correct 
avenue to go down. For sure. I never yeah, like to sure. say the right thing or the truth, but I always said, you know, the, the truth never changes, but my understanding of it constantly does. Right, right. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So. I, I'm going to let you know, I've been, I start recording right away. I just, I think it creates a more natural flow so we can just keep, oh, keep fine. chatting yeah. like, like old buddies, I guess. So yeah. yeah. I, and your background was, you, you were strength conditioning for like a decade or so with UT. Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, I went to grad school, I went to undergrad and grad school at university of Texas. And, uh, yeah, I just, I didn't, you know, I loved, athletics. I love training. Um, I didn't know why I loved it. I just kind of like, I just really enjoyed, um, it wasn't even competition. It was kind of just more of the physical act of improving, um, kind of like a self-actualization more. And I, you know, I kind of had this preconceived, you know, very immature thing. that was like, Hey, if you study athletes, you know, you'll learn everything because they're like the pinnacle. Right. And, um, I, you know, I love basketball. And so I met a guy, my mentor, Todd Wright, he was the strength and conditioning coach at, at university of Texas, the head one. And so I got in with him and, and, um, yeah, I started, I got my, you know, my first job and started working there was there for a decade. I worked with both men's and women's also helped out with other programs, baseball, uh, football, some others, and, and learned a ton, learned a ton about, you know, the difference between training and movement and health. Um, I really learn. I always say like, I hate the term. <laughs> I never wanted to be called a strength and conditioning coach. Cause that always in my mind was like, Oh, you know, squat them under the rack and run them on the track. Right. Strong conditioned. And we learned like, <laughs> you know, our best athletes, I mean, some of the best were in the world, best athletes in the world were not the strongest or the more con most conditioned, like from a pure raw standpoint, they were actually the best movers. They were just the best movers relative to their sport. Right. Um, and they were the, actually the, the key thing was they were efficient. So right. that was such an underlooked thing. It was all about, you know, work harder, work harder, work harder, and you'll be better instead of like, how about working on efficiency here? Because the great ones we know make it look easy. And the reason why they make it look easy, because it is easy for them. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so then they're, they're super conditioned because they're expending less energy per movement than you are. Right. Um, so I learned a ton and I kind of learned that like, I could care less about wins or losses, which is not a, um, I guess, uh, you know, correct thing to say when, <laughs> when you're in, <laughs> when you're in the athletics world, I got more into like health and movement, you know? And I was like, I was like, I could care less about, you know, we had, we had athletes that were tired all the time and they look like Greek gods. I mean, they were shredded all, you know, but they were tired all the time. They didn't want to walk to class. And I was like, what, what is going on? I was like, you're like, if I looked like you, I would strip down naked and walk to class. <laughs> like, like I was like, what, how are you, you know, I'm like 15 years older than you and I have energy and I want to, but you don't. And I, I kind of came to the realization that, I mean, obvious i should have come to it earlier that really your elite athletes are just super genetically gifted they're the one they're, they're there not because of their training they're there despite their training they're the ones that don't break down get burned out all this they're the ones that each level it's a it's a, basically you make it up the levels by attrition right the ones survival the fittest basically it's it's who can sustain the the, the practices and the games and then 
and, and have the genetic ability. That's kind of like your ticket in. Right. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I got in, I, I, you know, just got into learning about, I kind of learned what I really, my passion was, was really just about, you know, the, the physical manifestation of, the soul I say. So I basically equate it to like, you know, we're basically just a soul, a spirit and we inhabit a body and the way we live life is via movement. We, we move this body around. That's how we experience life. And so the better, the better we move, um, the better we make this vehicle, the better life we live. And it wasn't this whole, you know, the superficial fitness, like vanity type of thing, like, I'll just care about what I look like, uh, which I think is like reverse engineering the body, but the, um, I, I don't care. I just want to be able to do this movement that really serves no purpose. Um, it's kind of like a, like how many pull-ups can you do? Well, I mean, why does it even matter? <laughs> like, why does that even, like, can you pull up to save your life? Like, could you pull up onto something to get, you only have to do that one time. You don't have to do it 50 times. So, so I just kind of, all these epiphanies started coming and I kind of got into, you know, a, a weird road of constantly going on long hikes and walks and working all this through my head. Right. Right. Yeah. And what are you doing now from like, a, are you training folks one-on-one? Are you training coaches? What are you doing now? I, I do. A li- I always have a Jack of all trades. I'm a master of none. I do. <laughs> I, I still have a training business. Right. Um, and I work with, uh, mainly long time, you know, uh, ex-athletes that I've had or just people um, that are just moving into like the next 50 years of their life. Sure. It's like, okay, I, I'm not training for performance. I'm training for life now. Um, I also work with, uh, you know, people that are just trying to reinvent who they are from a physical standpoint. Um, and it's less about the true personal training. Like it's less about, training someone it's more about i I say facilitating okay Um, okay like teaching them about sleep teaching them about you know nutrition diet teaching them about you know cold exposure teaching them about um movement and i say with movement you don't even need me you already have it like this idea that i need to teach you how to move i just need to reawaken it um so I, i i i do more of a facilitation role it's less of me it's me constantly just guiding you down the road. Sure. Um, so I do that. I also work. Um, it's funny. I'm a part owner. And <laughs> we're talking about all this. I'm a part <laughs> owner in a tech group okay. that uh, we develop basically like programs for clients, like not for clients, for um, it's a business to business. So uh, businesses that um, want to programs for their gym or programs for their a certain piece of equipment or something like that. I'll come up with, um, you know, exercises that you can do with it that in, in programs that make a little more sense than you typically see out there. Sure. What, uh, what's it called? What's it, the company? It, the, the company I work for is called your trainer, your trainer, um, your trainer, Y O U R T R A I N E R. It's not, okay. not my company. They okay. just brought me on for just, uh, training and programming experience. Okay. Um, but we work with a, I, I can't tell you our clients, but we work sure. with a couple of, a, a couple of uh, businesses out there. We're kind of the behind the scenes people that are doing their apps or their videos or whatever. Okay. So I do that. And then I also mentor a lot of coaches. I mentor uh, kind of they 
you know, I, a lot of coaches are trying, like, how do I get clients to do this or how to get athletes to do this? And I work with them. Um, I've been in a mentorship role for a long time. I used to run the intern program at the university and at another facility here called train for the game. Um, and I feel like I'm getting, I'm becoming the old guy that's teaching, <laughs> that's constantly saying, this is how we used to do it. And you should do it this way. Sure. So, <laughs> so that's, I do, I do a little bit of everything, but, okay. but mainly my, I like to just learn and then learn how everything ties in from a macro approach and then disseminate that to coaches and clients and athletes. That's really my passion. Right. Right. And that's what really, one thing that really intrigued me is listening to you and Brad talk was your, it's like you were on this journey of like athletes are the pinnacle of health, wellness, fitness. And then you kind of entered a junction where it's like, no, that's just, that's not true. So you went on, you kind of like had to clean, you know, wipe the slate clean and decide, well, what, what is, what is the right path? So I really, um, I appreciate that just constant search for, for knowledge and what works and these kind of that's what we're universal told. truths. That's what was, yeah. Yeah. That, that's what I was told. I mean, and then that after I realized that wasn't true, then I started really questioning everything that I, sure, sure. I mean, everything I learned in my graduate program, everything I learned in my, I mean, the, the number one thing I learned in my graduate program and my master's program in exercise physiology was the first time I walked in to the first class, the professor said, everything you learn in here, half of it is going to be true and half of it is going to be false. We just don't know which half is which. <laughs> and so that was eye opening to the fact that like, we, re- we, we have a, you know what the Dunning-Kruger effect is? You ever heard of that? The Dunning-Kruger effect? That sounds super familiar, it's, but I'm going to need you to remind it, me. It, it's basically Dunning and Kruger are these, are these, um, psychologists, but they basically people that when you know a little bit about a topic, you overestimate how much you know about a topic Mm. and the people that know a ton about a topic underestimate how much they know about the topic. So the, the person that reads one article and thinks they know everything about nutrition, right. Or the person that's been in the nutrition field for decades and they realize we don't really know what to eat. You know, they really kind of say that. So I view us as humans, like what we know about our physical bodies it, like the collective knowledge, we so overestimate what we think we know. Absolutely. And, and that, that's why I think there's so much confusion out there. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, I was thinking about when you were talking about your, your kind of training methodology. Now it's like, it's almost like this Socratic approach to physical and movement training where you're asking, it's almost like you're asking questions versus giving these like specific directives. That's a really, I've never thought about it like that. I really, that's something I'll have to uh, digest a little bit more. Well, the yeah, you're correct, and and the reason why we view it, it, we're a product of industry, so we view the body like if you study the the books, the textbooks, they will use these mechanical terms like you're a machine. Like they'll use levers, lever systems. You know, the bicep flexes the elbow, and you'll learn type one, type two, type three levers, and you learn like you have these three energy systems, and you shift from here to here to here, right, and you. You learn it in this very mechanical thing, but also my undergrad, I was a minor in biology. Okay. And the number one thing I learned in biology was biology just adapts and it, you don't know how it's going to adapt. It just reacts to the stimulus at hand. And so in, in engineering, in mechanics, A always equals B. Right. That's how, you know, you have a, you have a process flow chart. You know that, okay, if A didn't equal B here, well then maybe I'm looking at C and C equals D. Well, 
in biology, A might equal something you've never even heard. A might equal exclamation point. A might equal something over here that's red because <laughs> we don't know how it reacts. So the thing you, to say that, like, I give you this training program and I know exactly on session 10 where you should be compared to session one is ludicrous. You don't even know set to set, rep to rep. So the, what, what, I, what we would do with athletes is I give them, I, I hone to principles. Principles I know are true. Gravity I know is out there. Okay. I know gravity is true. I know ground reaction force is true. I know mass and momentum is true. I know that the human organism doesn't slither on the ground. So to make it slither like a snake, I'm not going to train an upright human to slither like a snake. And I'm not going to train a snake to walk on two feet. Right. Right, right. So I have to know the principles of human movement. And then all I do is I ask it movement questions and I see how the body coordinates itself. The key is having to get past people's conditioning. So I, we always loved at the university when we had an athlete come and they never had any other training experience mm. because they moved authentically. So we love the guys that came in. They looked like unbelievable athletes. And you're like, hey, have you been lifting since you were five? And they're like, no, I've never touched a weight coach. So those are the ones we wanted because those, they, they were blank slates and they didn't have any preconceived notions. The, the, the thing that I learned, the people that are most experienced in the fitness realm, and I'm talking the globo gym fitness realm, are the worst movers. Sure, sure. Because they move in such they're, – they're all in their head. They don't know – they move how they think they should move. So if you watch them pick up something, you're like, you would never pick something up like that in real life. But yeah, you, So I'll give you an example. You go into a gym and you see somebody curling a bar, right? They're curling a bar, and, they, and you'll see them not moving anything right? They don't move anything and they're only isolating out their biceps. And then if they started swinging, if the weight got real heavy and they started swinging you back, oh, you're cheating. Well, no, that's the most efficient way to move a heavy weight that you can't just move with one lever. So actually they're moving in a way that is, that that's authentic. Sure. The, the idea that you break the training idea that you break the body down to these components and you train this muscle. And then when you put it with this muscle and you put it with this muscle, then you'll be stronger, loses itself in biology. And we actually, there's quite a bit of research on this. Oh, where they'll okay. take um, these mechanical models of overhead throwers and they'll just isolatively strengthen their triceps mm. and their the speed that they throw actually goes down. <laughs> Interesting. Because you've messed up the system. You've created right. the system is made to flow and you've created a backstop in the system somewhere. So, yeah, I, I think we're just a product of our industrial mindset. Like we, we view everything just like technology. We view it like Oh, if my computer's not working, well, then I close down the app. Well, and then if that doesn't work, I got to restart my. We have these processes. Sure, sure. In biology, it's nothing like that. Right, right. We all we do in biology is we think put the organism in the environment and watch what happens, and then make a new environment based upon what you just saw. That's uh, man. I knew I was going to get knowledge bombs talking to you, but I need. I'm going to be listening to this episode a lot. So that's um. <laughs> thank you for that. When well, I want, I, like I said, I, I'm going to tell you half of what I say is true and half of what sure, I say is false. Yeah, yeah. I just don't know which half. <laughs> we'll find out eventually. Exactly. When, I'm going to quote you here. This is from the Primal Endurance episode. You asked the question or you kind of posed this question. How hard can you work without working hard? Can you talk about that concept? That's efficiency. So um, we there's effectiveness and efficiency. Effectiveness is, can you get it done? Can you get the job done? And efficiency is, can you get the job done with the least amount of resources needed? Okay. Well, we know the number one rule of biology 
is it doesn't want to expend any more energy than it has to. So this is why uh, people sitting around is common because the body says, why am I going to, I'm comfortable here. I got everything I need. I don't need to go out and expend energy uselessly because that's survival. I might need that at some point. This is also why we are tend towards high calorie food because I can pack in a lot of those calories because we evolved in a way where high calorie food was very scarce and leisure was very scarce, right? So we had to learn how to do a lot of work with minimal energy use. So in athletics, we had this view. I mean, we have it in the fitness world too, but we had this view that it's all about your work that you do, work accumulation here, work capacity, calories burned, all this. It's like you'll see these people out running a very slow mile pace, but expending a massive amount of, sure, sure. of energy, which you're training inefficiency there. You're just training the body to be to to work really, really hard when it doesn't need to. And we know the greatest movers, the greatest athletes are the ones that that, like I said before, they make it look so easy. Like it's just effortless. And when it's effortless, you can do a lot of it and you don't get overtraining. You don't get injuries. You don't get any of that. So the ideal mover in my, well, the ideal mover period, I've, I've, I've said this multiple times and no one's really argued it, is the one that can do a whole lot of intensity that looks like a whole lot of intensity. So to us, it's like they're running really, really fast. It looks like, oh man, they're lifting a lot of weight. But when they get done with it, they're like, oh, I can do that walk in my sleep. I can do that. I've been able to do that since I was, you know, 10 years ago. I could do that. You go out and you look at our, um, an elite marathoner running a jog, uh, running their, their base pace. They're running a 530 mile pace, right? Right, right? So if you look on their heart rate, it's like at 120, <laughs> you know, it's at 110. So they're doing, they're, they're working really, really hard compared to the absolute. Right but they're, they're not expending a whole lot of resources. And we know that is actually the training effect, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the training effect is, you know, you go in a bench press and you have a hundred pounds on the bar. It's hard at first. Right. And then after a couple of years, you're able to do that three sets of 10, maybe with 150 pounds. Right. So then you go back to the hundred pounds and you're like, I can do this 50 times if I needed to. So the, we, we know that the, the adaptation process of biology is constantly for efficiency, constantly right. for efficiency, constantly right. for efficiency. But we, everyone's looking at their whoop band or their watch saying, how many calories did I burn in this workout? And that's all they care. It's like, we got the cart before the horse. Sure, I mean, sure. we don't, we, we don't even realize what the goal is of, of training. Like most people think, I mean, some people, a lot of people are into aesthetics. They don't even realize like, why do you run? Why do you move? Why do you want to be able to do a pull-up? You want to be able to pull up, but so like if you're hanging off the side of a branch, you can get on top of it so the lion doesn't bite you, right? I mean, we, we I feel like in our culture, we want to look like we can move, but we don't want to actually be able to move. <laughs> because the idea of somebody that looked like they could move is because they could actually do something, right. right? And so we're searching for, that's why I call it reverse engineering. We want the product, the mean, the, the end result, but we don't want to do the means when the end result is a product of the means, right. right? So the means is like, you can do a lot of, of movement, a lot of physical stuff, a lot of physical abilities relative to what a human can do. And guess what you, I will show you a human that looks like they can do a lot of physical stuff. 
like a human could do. Right. For sure. For sure. So I, I, I feel like that efficiency thing, it's like always strive for efficiency. And then once it becomes really, really easy, up the challenge and then make that efficient. And then once that becomes really easy, up the challenge, make that efficient. So you're constantly working in this kind of collinear way where, um, you know, you're, you're getting a certain intensity up to a certain point and then working on the efficiency there. And then now going into another thing that you're, that you suck at and trying to make that efficient and then getting at another thing. Right. right? I use, I use the analogy. I like the, the analogy zone one, zone two, zone three, and I actually stole this from uh, Ido Portal, Okay. but it's a movement learning philosophy. Um, zone one is when you're learning a movement and you can't do it. It's frustrating. It sucks. Like you're like, Oh my gosh, I, I, I can't do this. Ah, oh, I wish I could do this. I'm working at it. I'm working at it. I'm working at it. Okay. Zone two is where, oh, I did it, but it looked ugly. Oh, I can do it <laughs> once every 10 times. Oh, I can do it uh, maybe maybe on Mondays, but then Wednesdays I can't do it, right? Zone three is where I can do it in my sleep. Super efficient, right? Okay. Most people love zone three. So they're only going to do things they're efficient at, right? Because they don't want to look they don't want to look bad in the gym. They don't want to fail. They don't want to do any of this. They want to not look like the oddball, right? The idea, zone one is where you get the most benefit. Zone one is where you get the most motor learning. Most people stop zone one. They're like, I don't want to do zone one. They, 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 they quit there. Zone one is good. Zone one is where you're getting the most learning. You want to get zone one, then you want to get that zone one movement into zone two. And then as you get it into zone three, touch it into zone three, then get back to a new movement in zone one. So that, that process from zone one to zone three is efficiency. You're becoming more and more and more efficient. And then once you get it to zone three, go back and create a new challenge. That's how you're increasing how hard you can work and still making it look easy. Right. I have a comment and a question that, that, yeah, that reminds me of, I was listening to Pavel Tatsulin. I, th- I, I hope I said yeah. the last name, right? I was listening to him. This was a few months back, but he, what he was describing was essentially what, what you just described, how instead of just jacking up the weight every week, every session, you stay at the same load for a period of time until it becomes easy. And then you take a bigger jump up kind of that. Yeah. It's sim- very similar. And then, um, I was going to ask, how do you quantify that? efficiency. Cause I think that's something that's so attractive to people, you know, like the straps and the calories and it's, you want to see this like linear progression just forever versus kind of what you're describing sounds a lot more subjective. So is that, how would you kind of quantify or at least measure that efficiency? Well, I'll come back with a statement and a, <laughs> and a, and a question as well, or an answer. The, the first thing I would ask a client, like when they're like, Oh, I want to be able to measure it. It's why do you want to be able to measure it? Um, most people want to measure stuff because they're fearful that they're not on the right track. And they want to have data that points them to, oh, I'm seeing this. I'm seeing this. So they, they view themselves in a mechanistic mindset, right? They view themselves as everything should be linear uh, improvement. And we know biology, <laughs> biology is undulating. Right. Right? So I don't know what. I, it's just it's, – it, it's your con you're, it's not homeostasis it's homeo homeodynamics okay con- the, the 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 field goal posts are constantly moving in biology so i try to get them out of that mindset who cares about measuring but if we want to measure something what i like to do is set um kind of like a baseline of competency so i'll give you i'll, I'll use an example let's say pull-ups because i'm using pull-ups a lot so if i can get you to really quality like let's say 
strict pull-ups and you can do five strict pull-ups or 10, whatever you set the bar at five, 10, 20, whatever. Um, maybe five for uh, a female and 10 for a male. Let's say that. What, okay. You can do, you can do a set of 10. What is it? Um, how does it improve if you do 11 or if you're able to do 12? Does that, it's, that's not a big improvement. So why wouldn't you get away from the pull-up and say, okay, I still want to do a vertical pulling exercise, but maybe I work on one arm pull-ups. Maybe I work on the ring muscle-ups. Maybe I work on, so I have these stages where once I, I use intensity to get you to a certain threshold, and then I add the complexity back to the movement, not just keep going with this ever ending intensity. Right. So it's like, what, you know, once you can like, like your, your back squatting, which I don't, I don't even like, first of all, like, can you sit into a deep squat for 10 minutes? If you can, then who cares if you can back squat two times, two and a half times your body weight, like <laughs> carb for the horse. Right. So, but like, once you can, once you can squat, let's say, I don't know, two and a half times your body weight, do you actually get any better if you can squat three times your body weight? I, I don't think so. I think if you now, can you go do a pistol squat? Can you do a shrimp squat? Can you do maybe a jumping, like a, a you know, some kind of plyometric, like add the complexity back in. Right. Um, say push, I'll give you a push up example. Like once you can do, I don't know, once you can do 15 push ups, real quality, I'm talking high quality, super efficient push ups. Why were you trying to go to 50? Why would you try to go to a one arm push up? Try to right. do a one arm push up, you know? Try to do, um, you know, a, a new movement instead of just adding intensity, intensity. Because we have this thing called, uh, again, it goes back to the principle. When someone asks, what is human movement? We are the most complex movers on the face of the planet. There is no other animal that can do everything that we can do. But we're not the best at anything. We, there's only two movements that we do better than any other animal is we overhead throw with accuracy and speed better than any other animal. Because that's how we hunted. And there's a whole brain thing there that we can go into of why that is. And we run long distances better than any other. Mm. Um, those are the only two things that we do better than any. But but I can move like a snake. I can move like a monkey. I can move like a bear. I did that this morning. I can move <laughs> like a crab. I can move like other animals. Those animals can't move like me. Right. I always say I'm not faster than a cheetah or I can't climb better than a monkey, but I'm faster than a monkey and I can climb better than a cheetah. Right, right. So I, I can do it all. So this idea that we're trying to always specialize is just ludicrous. It's against human movement, which you're, you're designed to see how many movements that you can accumulate in your well, your motor cortex. That is what you're designed to do. And so the, the, this, this constant, like we, we, we praise the specialists in athletics. Like we think Usain Bolt's the fastest you know, human that's ever lived. And, but if you compare him to the animal kingdom, he's nothing. Right, right. <laughs> he's eaten. <laughs> Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so who cares? Like, can Usain Bolt squat down? Can he lift something? Can he throw something? Can he carry? Can he climb? Um, That's should be, if you want to be an authentic, if you want to express your, your actualization, your movement capacity as a human being, it should be what, how many different things can you do? And we're designed to do that for a lifetime. So our brain actually gets better when we, when we learn novel movements. We know that. Um, when we only bench squat and deadlift, bench squat and deadlift, bench squat and deadlift for 30 years, well, now you're going to have all this deterioration because your, your physiology, your body is designed to do variable movement. Right. And it's the idea of the coach to be able to see a mover, to analyze where they are, give them the appropriate stimulus, coach them to up to a certain plateau and then move the field goal post, move the target again, and then go through the same process. 
Right. The problem with that is it's frustrating. The problem with that is it creates growth. The problem with that is you have to set your ego aside. The problem with that is you'll realize you're never going to be the expert. You're always going to be the beginner. But all the greats in any field always viewed themselves as not the expert, but the beginner. That's the Dunning-Kruger effect again. The experts under, they'll say like, if you ask me, do you know a lot about movement? I'd say, we don't know a lot about movement. (laughs) I know very little, right? Um, And it's not because I consider myself a movement expert because I've, I've studied enough to realize that I don't know what we don't know. I know I don't know much about it. Right. I know a little bit about it, but I don't know a whole lot about it. When I, I'm finding the people that I am drawn to and respect the most, especially in the kind of, I don't want to say fitness anymore. I want to say, you know, health and wellness or human movement. Yeah. It's the folks that are willing to say, you know, this is kind of what I think, but there's also a lot I don't know. So I, I again, I really appreciate that hearing That's from fine. you. And w- one thing I was, you know, listening to you and Brad talk, what, what struck me was, you'd mentioned this train all day concept, how, mm-hmm. you know, and you gave the the Katie Bowman example of like our, our workouts or our exercises kind of like supplements where we're either going like a thousand miles an hour in our car or we're doing nothing. We're idling all day. Yeah. And I, I've heard this topic come up a ton and what I'm, what's stirring in my mind is like, how do you, I think people understand it from like a a concept and from like an abstract idea, but how do you like, how do you turn it into like this directive to, right. You know, how would you program someone into this, like move all day, train all day, micro workout philosophy that that's just what I'm, I'm, I haven't seen like a concrete example of. Yeah. Okay. So the the first thing I, again, I go back to principles is, um, you know, Before modern humans, um, we moved all day. Um, I feel like that's, we don't move enough as a society. We don't move enough as humans nowadays. Um, You know, exercising three times a week for 45 minutes ain't a splash and it's just a drop in the bucket. We're made to move all day long. Now, in order to move all day long, that necessitates that there's a certain amount of intensity there, meaning like we can't move all day at super high intensity, right? So if you really look at where these aerobic beings, we're, we're made to utilize oxygen, like that's our main thing. And we're made to do that via movement. We're made, and we're made to have forces on our bodies at all times. Um, we're mainly bipedal organisms. So we should be standing on our feet a whole lot. We should be walking a massive amount. We should be, um, locomoting, whether that is running, moving, hiking through a forest, sprinting, whatever, uh, crawling a lot, navigating our environment. Um, we're also designed to be in certain positions that creates our, our morphology, basically creates our muscular architecture, our fascial system. We're made to actually sit on the floor. And if, when you sit on the floor, you change positions constantly. You add more movement subconsciously. That allows certain link tension relationships to get reestablished. And if I'm sitting on my comfy couch and I'm stuck in the same position all the time, right? Um, we're made to, um, we have these things called opposable thumbs and we have the same shoulder architecture as apes. We're made to hang from stuff. Um, the rotator cuff is actually designed to hold your shoulder in socket. It's not designed to do these little internal, external exercises. It's made to, so you, your, your humerus doesn't rip out of your glenoid fossa. That's the, that's the whole reason why you have a rotator cuff, but, but nobody does that. In fact, there's like doctors now, uh, Kirsch is one of them that is showing how he puts people on a hanging protocol and it actually changes the bone. It changes 
the architecture and the mm, shoulder. Right. Um, so we're designed to hang from stuff. We're also designed to, to be in a deep squat. That, that was actually the third with hunter gatherers. That's the third most, uh, the biggest position, the, the time they spend the most in is in the deep squat. First is lying because you sleep. Second is standing. And third is deep squatting. And that's basically non-existent in, in societies. And there's, there's ways that, sh- that shows you how you, how the architecture of the low back and the hip and the ankles and all of that change when you're in this deep squat. So when I'm looking at moving all day, it's, you should have a walking practice. That should be a huge foundation. You should be standing for eight, 10 hours a day. You should be on your feet eight to 10 hours a day. Um, so working at standing desks, that's great. But walking morning, middle of the day, evening, all the time, constantly you're walking. Spending time in a deep squat, meaning like you maybe take uh, one minute out of every hour and just squat down. Or maybe you say, every time I'm on my social media, which I don't get, I'm going to be in a deep squat, right? Or uh, when I'm taking a phone call, I'm walking, right? Um, setting up and also hanging too. Like maybe I spend, uh, you know, 30 seconds every two hours or a minute every two hours hanging, like just having an, a, a tree branch or having some kind of bar or, or, or rings or something where I just hang and let gravity. I like to say it's like your iPhone cord when it gets you know, all tangled yeah, up yeah. and you're trying to untangle it. The best way is just hold it by its end and let it unravel itself because gravity is smarter than us. Right, right. Gravity's got it all figured out. Thank you. Physics. So we got to utilize gravity with the squat is compressing and the, the hang is distracting. And we, we have these habits built in. So we established with those, you've established a huge platform of just movement, setting up your life in ways that are not convenient. Meaning like if you have a water bottle, don't put it on your desk next to you. Put it on the ground over there. We have to bend down and go pick it up, right? And, you know, in, and not getting something convenient, like if you have a water, you know, water jug, let's say that you're that a five-gallon water jug that you put in a dispenser. People get these like bottom-up dispensers because they don't want to lift the water jug. Oh, up. Yeah, yeah. No, no, lift the water jug. Right. Because if you don't lift the water jug, you're going to lose the ability to lift the water jug. You know, mow your own grass, you know, carry your groceries. Like all of these things, we, we, we have this idea like I'm, I'm going for convenience, but the problem with convenience is convenience is a thief. Convenience steals your movement ability. And so we have this. And then instead of exercise, don't even think of exercise. Exercise is just burning calories for the sake of burning calories, which is it, it, it just it doesn't make sense from a biological standpoint. Right, it makes right. no sense. Which you, what I would say is think of your, your time, your workout time, which makes no sense, is a practice. I'm trying to get better at something. It's a movement practice. So what movements am I getting better at? Am I getting better at running? Am I getting better at sprinting? Am I getting better at doing push-ups? Am I getting better at pull-ups? Am I getting better at climbing, lifting, carrying, crawling, uh, locomoting, stepping over and under objects, jumping up, um, um, you know, it could be swimming. It could be all of these things that are, that are natural human movements. I'm, I'm not just getting my workout in. I'm not trying to say, you know what? I've been sedentary for 23 hours of this day and I'm going to get all my movement in, in this one hour, which you can't, that's like, you know, fighting a fire with a spray gun. You can't do it. you right. What you have to do is have this base of movement throughout the day. And then what you do with your quote unquote, uh, supplemental time is you're actually trying to get better at a specific movement right. or at specific movements. And then what you'll find is now your, your body will be, you'll have endurance, you'll have agility, you'll have flexibility, 
you'll have mobility, you'll have strength, you'll have all of these things in relationship to each other. With 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 fitness and training, we we we've so reduced all of this. Like we said, I'm doing my strength training. I'm doing my cardiovascular training here. I'm doing my mobility training. And we isolate those out. When movement, th- those are aspects of movement. So if I, you show me somebody that moves really well, I'll show you somebody that their movement exhibits great flexibility and mobility. Their movement exhibits great strength. Their movement exhibits great endurance. Those are qualities of movement. Those aren't qualities to be trained. You train movement and those qualities happen because of it. So you take somebody that, is weak and you start having them lift load, I'll show you somebody that gets stronger and they need to get stronger. Their body has to get stronger to handle that stimulus of those movements. But if you're already strong and you go into the gym and you start lifting and lifting and lifting, you might get a little stronger, but probably not. You're, you're right. actually, you're probably going to get injured. You're probably going to get overtrained. So it's like, you, if you focus on how do I get better at movements, your body will adapt according to that stimulus the way it needs to. And this is why you take seven people and you put them on the same workout program, you get seven different results. And the reason, because that body has to adapt and each person has a different way they need to adapt to get better at that stimulus. Right. So that workout all day concept is, it, it, there is no off day with movement. You were dead. It, literally, we define death as the absence of movement. <laughs> <laughs> so like we define, that's how we define it. Right? right. Yeah. So, so if you, there's no off day for movement, you're dead. Right. <laughs> the right. off day of movement is when you die. Sure. Sure. So, and so this, these movements can not, it's not only, uh, you know, physical movement, but breathing is a movement, you know, uh, uh, your heart pumping blood through you is a movement. So as, as you, you know, maybe go from walking to jogging or just get up and move around, you're shifting all of the blood flow through your body. That's movement. You're training this movement. Right. Um, and so does that kind of answer your question? Kind of the, the idea is like you kind of have these base level habits that you're doing all the time. And then you're reframing your pinnacle supplemental movement. Right. Well, so I was a, um, I was a wilderness ranger for three seasons. So I essentially like I spent, you know, the entire summer in the wild, which was awesome. And I was a college athlete as well. And I, I always remember I'd be, you know, training in this kind of strength and conditioning, you know, division one training environment. And I thought I was in awesome shape, you know, could squat a lot, could run fast, whatever, all that. But then when I got out in the woods, it didn't transfer over really at all to that, just that all day, super varied movement. I was such a specialist that it, it, it didn't work in the wild, which is, it, it, it used to frustrate me so much, but it, looking back now, it's like, Oh, it makes so much sense. But I also remember how sore I was those first couple of weeks from squatting all the time, just the way you move in nature versus, you know, the kind of right angle everywhere, uh, modern world. Right. So, yeah. Think, think about this. Like I always say when people say strength, like that person's strong, it's like, what does that even mean? Like, what are you talking about? Sure. So like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like you take a gymnast, and you put him on rings and he's holding this iron cross and you're like, oh man, that guy's strong. But then you put him on a football field and you have him play right tackle and you're like, where'd all that strength go? <laughs> right? right. And then you take your right tackle who's unbelievably strong in the weight room and on the football field. And then you ask him to do the iron rings and he's incredibly weak. And you're like, where'd all that strength go? So what, what we learned is like strength is, a, is, is contextual. It's based upon the environment that you're in. Right? So strength is not strength is not strength. Endurance is not endurance is endurance. So, 
your training that you were doing in the gym and the athletic realm did not carry over to real life, right? It might have carried over somewhat to your to your sport, right? Yes. There's a higher degree of carryover. Yes. But it doesn't because your your sport has confinements, right? The the field is always the same. It's always the same distance and all that. Nature is nothing like that. And people always under like that, I told you that squat analogy. Like I told somebody once, um, they're like, I want to get you know work on my deep squat. So I was having them do a minute of squatting every hour that they were awake. Okay. So over the course of a day, it'd be like fifteen to sixteen minutes of squatting. And the next day, they were like, "Dude, I, I felt like I squatted three hundred yesterday. <laughs> like I'm so we we don't appreciate the micro, um, these micro forces on mm-hmm. the body. Mm-hmm. You know, like ask somebody to hang one minute of every hour, and their forearms are taxed by the third. But if you go, you know, I grew up on farms and stuff, and you're carrying and these farmers were unbelievably strong and they never lifted. Right. But what did they do all day? They did this sub-maximal loading. And that's kind of your Pavel idea. Tatsulin is like this, what you really want to do is have this kind of sub-maximal loading that's constant. Right. It's constant. That's constant. Um, instead of just looking at the peak. And it, it's the same analogy. I mean, we, we talked about it before, is diet. It's like, we know that I can't just take, you know, all these supplements and out-supplement a poor diet, right? I have to have this baseline of just a, a whole foods diet. Well, that whole foods diet is your movement. And these supplements, these specific supplements are your movement practice that you want to get better at this specific thing. Right. And so this, this idea of, you know, if you're strong in the weight room, you're strong in every other context is it's ludicrous in my mind. It's just like, how, how can we say that? We know, we know that's not true. We know that from an intuitive standpoint. Um, and I was in the field that we told people that we told people like, Hey, the more you bench press then your upper body is going to be really strong for everything. And it's like, Nope. Right. right. <laughs> no, you're going to be really strong at bench press, but you're not going to be strong at much else because exactly. your body specializes. Exactly. Like yeah. It's so, um, it's just, again, I think what someone that's not thinking at the level that you're at, I can see how, you know, it's just, it's such a, what seems like what's right might be completely opposite or wrong. So it's, um, it's such a complex process. And especially once you start looking at the biology behind it, I, that's just, you know, a lot of people aren't educated at that level. I was, I was a human science, human bio major as well. So mm-hmm. having that, having that level of just physiological understanding, it, it, I'm, I'm no expert by any means, but it, having conversations like this, I can at least like, Oh yeah. Like I totally can understand why that would elicit a certain response or why that's important to, to utilize. So. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the simple, I like to look at it. There's a big difference between easy and difficult and simple and complex. Right. We use those interchangeably, but they're very different. Right. So health is super simple. It's super simple concept to understand you know, move, get outside, eat stuff that was a plant and animal, right? Right. Super simple. Is it easy in a modern world? No. People have tons of difficulty with it, right? Right. Complex is difficult to understand. Health and mood is not complex at all. Super like, okay, we're human. So what did we do? Well, we crawled for a year of our life and no other animal does that. So that might be important. So we probably should be good at being on the ground and crawling in different ways. And like baby deers, they're born and a couple of minutes later, they can run, Right. right? 
And then we need to walk a whole lot because we walk a whole lot. We need to run. We need to sometimes sprint for stuff. We need to be able to throw and carry and catch. We need to be able to, to get up and down off the floor and be able to sit on the floor. We need to be able to balance, of course. We need to be able to climb things and get on top of things. We need to be able to jump up to things and from things and off of things and all of this stuff, right? Right. Super. I mean, we knew it as a, I mean, my kids know this stuff, right? Because they just play. But now if I go into a, 24 hour fitness or gold's gym or something like that. It's difficult to do some of that stuff. Cause there's no room. Right, exactly. <laughs> there's no environment exactly. for that. Like it's difficult to look like the oddity, not be wearing shoes and maybe, you know, like it's, that's difficult. Sure. So I always say like, there's this in our understanding, there's these, it's, I call it, I learned this from my, one of my other mentors, Gary gray. Um, and he had this, he's, he's with the gray Institute. Um, a genius in, in analyzing movement on a complex level. It's, I mean, this guy, he's known as the father of function. And I'm telling you, in 20 years, we're going to look at this guy like Leonardo da Vinci. It's like he, he, he's the da Vinci of, of biomechanics and we don't even, no one even realizes it. But anyway, he has this concept of, he calls it the two hills, the two mountains of simplicity and the valley of complexity. So what happens is when you're first learning, you're on this first side and it's called the simple side of simplicity. When you're like, oh, it's super easy. All you got to do is lift in the weight room, run, you know, make sure your calories are controlled and you'll be healthy. Right. It's it's simple, stupid. Right. Sure. It's 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 a simple side. And then you start to learn. You go down this path and you drop down into this valley of complexity where things you're like, well, maybe that doesn't make sense. And that didn't work with that client or that athlete. But. I'm supposed to work because it says in my textbook it should work. And, you know, I've never seen this before. And if that was important, why didn't I learn it? Because I spent all this money on my grad program, you know, all this stuff. And what happens is this becomes the crux. So majority of people, everybody, I'll tell you, they run back up to that simple side of simplicity. <laughs> they said, oh, that complexity, that sucks. That sucks. I'm going to get back up here. And it's, these are the people that are entrenched in what they believe in. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you just need a deadlift. And if you deadlift, until you're 80 years old, you'll be healthy. And you're like, oh, I, I don't know any 80-year-olds that deadlift, first of all. And you're 25 and I'm 41. I've been doing this a lot longer and you're trying to tell me that, right? Sure. So you, you get this, you get this um, discrepancy or you get the people that say, you know what? I'm comfortable with this and I'm going to venture through this valley of complexity. And I'm going to realize that I know nothing and I'm going to put my ego aside. And then you start to climb up a hill and you're like, wait, I'm going uphill again. What is this? And you get to this other side of this valley. And this is called the simple side of complexity. And this is an awesome place to be. And this is where you're, you're looking at right now. Dan. You're saying you're looking back at this valley of complexity and you're able to say, you know what? I appreciate that complexity. I realize all of it. But also I can see the simplicity in all of that. All you need to do is move like a human, eat like a human. Put yourself in authentic human environments, right? Think like a human. Subtract things. Don't add things. Subtract things. Subtract things out of your life, things that you don't need. It's so much simpler than we think, but I had to go through that valley of complexity in order to get to the simple side of complexity. That's a... So uh, that's my kind of analogy that I No, I that's a beautiful concept, man. Again, I, I just... I, uh, I can't wait to re-listen to this episode and like <laughs> take all these detailed notes, but no, I love, I, I feel like I'm deep in the valley of complexity starting to maybe climb out a little bit, but that's why I get to have conversations like this and learn. So I appreciated it. Oh, no problem. One, so 
just going back to the micro workout from like a Mm -hmm. directive standpoint, what I'm hearing is it doesn't really matter what you're doing. What, what the directive is, is create an environment and situation where you move more or you walk more or you pick things off the ground more, where you hang more, or you might sprint every once in a while. You you just, mm-hmm. it's all about creating an environment and understanding and just maybe changing your mindset that all these little bites of movement throughout the day in your life, ultimately, they all aggregate to create that health, wellness, and variety that a robust human would, would get in nature, essentially. You, you are exactly correct. There, there, are, there are movements that you have to do as a human. So it's just like, if, if you want to have the teeth in your head, you got to brush and floss your teeth. That's that you have to do that. Right. Like that is a requirement. So for humans, it's a requirement to walk, squat, hang, lift, sit on the floor, get up and down off the floor. If you don't do those things, you will lose the ability to walk, squat, hang. So think about it. We, we know these longevity markers, right? They get up and down tests, right. the Brazilian rise to sitting test was like the number one indicator of your morbidity and mortality risk. We know grip strength is important. Well, when you're hanging from something, guess what you're training? <laughs> Grip strength, right? We know that mobility is important. What's the deep squat? Folding my ankles, knees, and hips, right? We know that walking speed is important for longevity. Well, if you walk a lot, guess what? You get faster at it, right? So the, these are requirements. This is brushing and flossing your teeth. You have to do these things or you will come to me in your 80s and give me all the money that you've accumulated in your desk job just to get back your health. So I always say – Humans, what we do is we, we spend our health gaining our wealth, and then later on in life, we'd, re- we'd spend our wealth regaining our health. <laughs> and I'm like, you, you got it backwards, bro. You can, you can, you can maintain this. Right. So the, you have to do those things. Now, let's say your teeth, and you're like, you know what? Okay, my teeth are clean. I'm not, they're not going to rot. But you know what? I'd like them a little straighter. So I'm going to go into this orthodontia. Well, this is like another level of, of, of practice. So this is where you have to do those things. Now you're like, you know what? I'd like to like, I'd like to be able to like, you know, maybe be faster, like sprint, run faster, right? Well, now I have to go into a new practice mm-hmm. that's on top of this stuff. I don't sacrifice that stuff. I just add that on. Or you know what? I'd like to be able to like, you know, do some of these like acrobatics or maybe like balance on my hands or maybe like be strong and be able to lift stuff or be able to throw things really, really good or be able to climb up on things. These are added things onto it. This would be like whitening your teeth or like getting orthodont. Like you're a, you're below, you're above the baseline required for you. Right. So does everybody need to do push-ups and pull-ups and squats and lift weights and run and bicycle? No, no. But every human's got to be able to walk, carry something. I, I think every human should be able to save their own life if needed, like from a burning building or. Mm running from something or save somebody else's. So it's the old George A. Bear who, who coined, who, if you don't know who he is, oh, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the method natural, right. right? He, he basically said, be fit to be useful. Mm-hmm. So it's an altruistic thing. It's like, I'm not training for myself. I'm training. So like the guy that wants to come date my daughter, he looks one, looks at me and he's like, I don't want to mess with that house. Right? <laughs> <laughs> or, or if, if I have to get out of a burning building, I can crawl or I can grab my, my kids and crawl. I can help my wife off the ground. I can carry my wife a mile if I need to, right? Or I can do that for somebody else out there, right? So I'm, I'm strong to be useful, and I'm also strong. So guess what? I This is an aside. I've never used my medical insurance, my health insurance. Why do I have it, 
right? right. Why am I paying so much? I'm paying so much because other people want to smoke and they raise these interest rates. So I have to pay more. So you're, you're actually, from a societal standpoint, your lack of health is costing everybody else money and you don't, you don't realize it, right? So it's not this in right now, the fitness world is in this individualistic, like, look at me, look what I can do. And if you take it outside of yourself and you say, I am trying to be a better physical human so I can do more for humanity. I can do more for the world, right? That's mm-hmm. a different mindset. It's a very altruistic. It's a very, I mean, it's above and beyond superficiality. It's this calling. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I've come to the conclusion is I'm doing it so I can, I'm, I want to be a pioneer. I'm doing it to show you what's possible. I want to be the 85-year-old man I have a story about that, but I, I want to be the 85 year old man where you're like, what in God's name is that person? Who is that person? I want to be that person. Cause it shows you what's possible. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, like the, the, I don't even know what we were originally talking about. I guess. Well, hey, keep going, brother. Keep <laughs> the, going, man. <laughs> but the, the idea, the idea that, um, you're doing this, for a higher calling. I'll tell you, I'll go back to that 80 year old story. I went, I go to this park um, that's near my house. It's a soccer, it has a bunch of soccer fields on it and it's grass. It's beautiful. It's built into the, no lights or anything. It's built into the natural landscape here in Austin, Texas. And I was over there and I was doing kind of my movement practice outside, you know, it's cold and environment. I knew there's no, there's going to be nobody out there because everyone's scared of the environment. <laughs> everyone's going to get away. And I look over and I, see this car pull up a a while over in the other soccer field. And I see this guy get out and he does a couple of stretches and he just starts sprinting. Like he's running from something um, (laughs) across this field. And I'm like, wow, that guy's moving pretty good. You know? And then I'm kind of doing my thing. I look over and he kind of walks back and then he does it again. And he does it again. And I'm like pretty impressed. I'm like, I don't see anybody out here. And I'm like, who's this guy? And I walk over and I'm kind of getting over there and I'm looking at him. I'm like, it's kind of an older gentleman. Right. And I'm fascinated with older men because I know I'm going to be an old man. So I want to know like old men that are who I want to be. Right. I'm like, fat, I want to hear their story. And so I'll go over and I'm like, man, how many of those did you do? And he, he was, he's like, you know, I did, I did eight of them. And I'm like, you did eight of those sprints? And he's like, yeah, I did eight. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm kind of trying to make a little quirk. I'm like, you know, next time try to get nine, you know, and I'm kind of, and he's like, no, next decade. And I'm like, wow wait, what, what'd you say? He goes, yeah, I, you know, I did four in my forties. I did five in my fifties. I did six in my sixties and seven in my seventies. I'm in my eighties. Now I do eight in my nineties. I'll go up to nine. And I was like, you're in your eighties. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, son, they're going to tell you you're going to get old and you're going to get decrepit and you're not going to be able to do anything. He's like, all oh, that's BS. He's like, it's just, it's just a lie. He's like, you, you make the mindset to constantly get better. You adapt, you listen to yourself you adapt and you get better. He's like, all of that's BS. Don't let him tell you what it is. And I left. I thought that guy was my hero. I left in a whole new realm. And right now I'm 41. And they told me when I was 30 that I was going to start declining and all of it. It doesn't happen. What happens is if I kept doing what I was doing, I would start declining. But if I'm adaptable and I change and I constantly move around and, and change, move the goalposts for myself, have different goals. That's the key. I've learned that with, with older, with older people that are really, really vital and really move really, really well. They'll never tell you. I've never found one that'll tell you, you know what? I found the best exercise program, the perfect program in my twenties. And I've just done it for 60 years. They never will tell you. They'll tell you, you know what? 
I lifted for a while. And then after that, I got into racquetball. I did that for a while. Then I started playing golf and then I got into yoga for a while. And then I did some kickboxing, you know, and then I got into, they, they're constantly changing and they're constantly using their body in novel ways. And they, it's just a lifetime practice. And we don't, we don't have that mindset nowadays. We have the six week plan mindset, right? I'm not training for eight weeks. I'm training for 80 years, right? I'm training, I'm trained by my 80 year old self. What does my 80 year old self want to be able to do? And that, that's my philosophy with moving forward um, is to have that, that mindset. And that gets you through the self-talk of like, eh, I don't really want to do anything today. It's like, who, who are you? you? If you didn't want to do anything, you know, 300 years ago, you were dead. Right. So, yeah. So like that, that's my motivation. No, that's, um, that's just such, that's such a prof again. It's like, what was the, it was the simple, it was simple, stupid valley of complexity. And then the, yeah. the other piece the, was the, the simple side of simplicity, yep. the simple side of simplicity, yep. the valley of complexity and the simple side of complexity. Right. Right. Well, and you know, hearing your conversation with the older gentleman that he sounds like he's standing very high on the top of that simple. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, just being able to look back like that and, and that's not easy though. It's that's, not. Not, that's the thing. It's, it's difficult not. to do that because you, you have to wake up each day and you have to recommit you. Have to, and, and that's, that's, it's simple to understand, but it, I'm, I never would say it's easy. Um, it gets easier, but, it, but it's just a non-negotiable. It's like brushing your teeth. It's like, you're not going to wake up one day and be like, you know what? I'm not going to brush my teeth for, I'm not going to brush my teeth for a month. You know right. what? I'm not going to do that. We do that with exercise. <laughs> Everyone does that with, but why, why would we do that? Like, I don't get, I don't get the concept of a like the comp, you know, cheat day. Think about cheat day. What? You're going to cheat on yourself. Like, I don't get a cheat day with my wife, right? I'm not going to say, you know what, honey, today's our cheating day. <laughs> We're not married. <laughs> right? we, we would never do that. Right. But yet we'll do that with ourselves. Mm -hmm. So no wonder you, you, you were given a Ferrari, you know, you were given this thing. If this is a Ferrari, this human, the more you study this body, the value of complexity, the more you study this body, you realize, oh my God, this is magnificently and fearfully made. This thing is legit. And so if I gave you a Ferrari, would you just park it in your garage and never drive it? Or would you put cheap gas into it? Or would you just drive it recklessly around, banging it into stuff? Yeah. But people do it with, with this body. Right. I'm like, you got to be – take this thing. Use it. I mean, I, I, I pulled up a quote. Socrates, right? He said, no man has the right to be an amateur in the matter of physical training. It is a shame for a man to grow old without seeing the beauty and strength of which is, his body is capable so I, I had that quote in my head all the time. Like you were given a Ferrari, go drive the dang thing. Sure. See what it can do. You know? Oh, absolutely. Well, I know I'm guilty of this, but I used to, this was like back in college where when I'd have a workout, if I, if I couldn't do this like specific workout, I wouldn't train. It was so weird. But yeah. as I've matured and realized, you know, understood things a little bit more, it's like, I think people just, dis they distinguish exercise there's a, there's a schism between exercise and movement. And mm -hmm. just cause you're not exercising doesn't mean you can't move. You can do yoga. You can stretch. You can sit in the squat. You can sit in the floor. I, I was saying when you were talking about having kids, I have two daughters, uh, 27 months and seven months. So oh, it's, you're it's, in it. it's wild times, it. wild times. But 
I I never sit on the couch because we're constantly on the floor. I we're, I don't see how people. There's always people. They have kids, and then they talk about like dad bod and getting out of shape. I don't I don't see how that happens because I move all day with them, and it's like doing Turkish get-ups. I don't know fifty times a day, holding mm-hmm. one to two kids. You know, so it's um. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't understand that. And then it's also really interesting for me to just observe specifically my older daughter, how she moves, how she squats, mm-hmm. how she picks things up, how she runs and just, it's uh no, nobody teaches you how to move. Exactly. Nobody te- you movement is an innate process. Exercise is a man-made construct, right? Exercise is man-made, right? It's this construct. We developed all oh, this is chest. This is back. This is pull up bench. We actually, devise machines that do this that limit your movement movement is inborn in you nobody teaches you how to move um you it's just there we can suppress it society suppresses it if you if you picked up your daughter and carried her everywhere you would inhibit her ability to walk at appropriate time all you got to do is get out of the way right like literally all you got to do is put them on the floor and get out of the way make sure they don't die that's all you got to do (laughs) the only thing you can do is inhibit their movement you can't ever teach them right so the the but the problem is what happens they go to school sit down be quiet put on those shoes don't climb that tree you'll get hurt don't dirty the walls with a handstand the mother doesn't like that, right? we we suppress movement when it's just innate and so like you said the difference between movement and exercise is movement is your right it's given to you as a human being exercise is what everyone else is telling you to do it's a man-made construct just like politics just like diets just like everything else is this man-made construct what is the I, I that's what my big thing is authenticity i try to break everything down to what it is what should i authentically eat as a human what does a human being eat like if i don't feed my dog asparagus because dogs are descended from wolves wolves are carnivores they eat meat right? <laughs> so if I, I feed my dog meat i don't uh put my dog in a crow pose in yoga no i walk my dog and i run my dog because that's what dogs do they walk and run right and they hunt so the more you do that the healthier that animal is and as humans we have to do what authentic humans do so what do we do what do we eat how do we sleep we're diurnal not nocturnal so we should be sleeping at night and up in the day and outside right how do we move right what are we designed to do and the further we get away from that you get man-made constructs so that's where you get the diet plan right the supplement you get the exercise program you get uh, the whoop band. You get the, oh, sorry, I shouldn't say, it's great. It's a great, <laughs> you get these, you get these, these apparatus that are um, what somebody else, what an authoritarian is telling you to do and what's important. Mm-hmm. That's why people think calories important. They think heart rate is important. They think all of these metrics are important because we can measure those. Mm-hmm. And one thing I learned in grad school is just because you can measure something doesn't mean it's important. Right. We've learned that a ton. Right. And, and the greatest things in, in the world, the greatest things in the world, love, altruistic behavior, philanthropy, caring. We can't measure any of that. We don't measure any of that. Happiness. We can't measure that. Right. Health. We can't measure that. We think we can, but we really don't know. <laughs> right. So all of these things that are the most important things given to us, we can't measure. So we got, we have to get out of that we need to be able to measure it data. That's a product of our industrialization. We didn't have that before industrialization because we couldn't, we had nothing to measure anything with. <laughs> right? 
So I think we're, we're just a product of where society and industry has, has told us we need to go. And, and, and again, these are just realizations. These are not, you know, I didn't have this epiphany or anything. I just started observing things from a 10,000 foot view. Right. And just really honestly looking at this stuff and saying, what the heck are we doing? You know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Hey man, I've got an essay of uh, questions here I could go through, but I want to be respectful of your time and oh, monk- I, got, I got time. You, you, whatever you need me to need me to do, man. Okay. I got, I got one more cause I, I I'm yeah. really very curious to hear your, your thoughts on this, but nutrition. Okay. How, what's, what's your approach? How do you approach that with clients? How do you think of it from like that more philosophical level or even like the, the simple, complex, simple, yeah. complex, how do you, how do you approach nutrition? Okay. So the, the, the first thing is nutrition is a hot, uh, hot button topic because typically it's based upon a belief system. And the three things that I usually don't bring up in conversation are nutrition, politics, and religion, because they're based upon belief systems. And uh, people can't logically think about something when it's based upon a belief. So that's the first thing. It's, you have to delve into it in a very black and white way. Okay. The, the complex side is what we've made of it. Um, so we have all of these certain dogmas about, um, you know, what's good for the planet and what's who we do for us, you know, what uh, is macros important, all this. Like we, we, we've muddied the waters and we haven't looked at the actual what does a human being eat. And as human beings, we know based upon our teeth, we know based upon our bodies, we know based upon all of that. From evolutionary biology, we know we're omnivores. We are omnivores. We are hunter-gatherers, and we are probably more gatherer-hunters because it's a lot easier to kill a broccoli than to kill a wildebeest. Right? Sure, sure. So, so we, were, we, we gathered a ton, and we hunted. And if you look at the work of Dan Lieberman, who wrote The Story of the Human Body, our brains went through a massive um, change once we were able to utilize fire and we were able to utilize animal protein and animal fats. That's when it really changed. So to, to um, say that we should never eat animal products, uh, if you have a belief behind that, that's one thing. I'm not going to argue that. But if you want to say that humans are not designed to eat animal products, well, now you're just ignorant. Because it, ignorant is just not, I'm just not privy to the information because we know that to not be true. Right. right? We know that. Right. Um, and we knew that when we invented fire, we were able to extract the most amount of calories from these animal foods. So we know that animal foods are super important. Now in today's society, do we probably eat more than we should? Yes. Do we probably, we don't gather as much and eat as much vegetables as we should? Probably yes. Right. So I go back to we're omnivores. We're designed to eat plants and animals. And also we're designed to eat – our bodies work better with foods that were found in our uh, local environment. Mm-hmm. So if, I, if, I'm in, um, if I'm in Costa Rica and I eat a pineapple, that's going to have a much different metabolic response than if I'm in Boston, Massachusetts in December and eat a pineapple that I found at the grocery store because that's not found in my environment. So that's going to have a huge – uh, change in my metabolic because my, my whole body sensing um, you know the solar energy it knows what time of day it is it knows what uh, season it is and it knows that food's not available right so typically why we ate more carbohydrates in the summertime because they were available 
fruit was available in late summer. It wasn't available in December. So should I be eating fruit in December? Probably not because it wasn't available in your local environment. The easiest way is just go to your farmer's market and say, hey, what's in season? Because right. they can only grow what's in season. So that, what I say is you don't – who cares about calories? Who cares about that? Who cares? Eat plants and animals. Eat the least processed you can. Eat the healthiest plants and animals. So that's where you get into kind of your grass-fed, your um, wild-caught fish, uh, your pasture chickens, all, all that. You get into your organic, locally grown fruits and vegetables. Um, that's what we should eat. That's what is designed. Those are the rules of being – just like the, you can't break the rules of movement. Those are the rules of nutrition. When you venture away from those rules, you can. You can break the rules if you want because you're a, a free human being. The problem is you got to know the rules to be able to break them. Right. Most people don't know the rules. Exactly. Absolutely. So if you know those rules, so that's why I tell people to eat. Like, what's your what's your nutrition philosophy? I eat plants and animals. <laughs> I love it. that. I love that's, that. That's that's the simple side of complexity. Yep. So it, I, I can appreciate all the complexity. I can tell you macros and the difference in vegetables and fruit and how some vegetables might have more lectins that can affect your immune system, but the fruit actually the plant wants you to eat the fruit. So it just gives you the nutrition and these vitamins and stuff like that. And I can tell you why like some people might work well on more animal-based uh, proteins and um, uh, vegetable-based protein, but some have trouble with that. That's where it gets all complex. And it's like, oh, man, we just got to – I don't want my, I don't want anybody to go into the grocery store and just be sitting there. Like, I don't know what to eat. It's like, <laughs> we, we know, we know no paralysis by analysis. Exactly. Yeah. Omnivores. Right. We're omnivores. Let's eat like omnivores. Right. I, uh, I loved, I heard someone, I can't remember who it was, but they were like, I'm a militant omnivore, which I loved. Yeah. I loved hearing that. Cause it's so, it's so fascinating to me. The like, you know, it's, it's essentially like the plant-based or vegan versus the carnivore now, you know, it's just oh. such a, it's such a, and I just, I, I'm, I can't imagine throughout history that either one was normal, at least for the well, entire year for a, for a human. And you, and you changed seasonally, like right. the idea that you ate consistently throughout the year, that the idea, like, obviously if we hunted an animal and killed, we ate it right away. Mm -hmm. And that was a prized food. Right. So to say, we know that that, yeah, they're more nutritionally dense. So I get that from the carnivore side, right. but also meat wasn't available sometimes. So we gathered the, these plants were these survival foods and we've adapted to handling some of these plant toxins actually create a hormetic effect. Mm -hmm. us, right. Mm -hmm. So, and, and probably in the summertime, there was more bountiful fruits and, and, and vegetables. We ate those, but then when the winter time, when there wasn't any plants, we probably ate less times a day, we probably ate one meal a day. Maybe we skipped days and we ate a ton of ant more ketogenic, let's say, sure. or carnivore. We ate more of these animals. So we can mimic that. We know this stuff to be true. Like we know this from, from evolutionary biology. We know we ate like this. Mm -hmm. um, we know the, the Nordic Scandinavian people work better on um, animal proteins and fats because vegetables aren't there. And we know the fruits in Costa Rica, like these people can eat all, all fruits and they survive well. So just like I was telling you about humans are generalists, mm -hmm. we're generalists in nutrition. Absolutely. But so we know that humans all over the world can survive on vastly varied diets. But the one commonality is they ate what was available to them in their local environment. Right. And if we hone to that, if we just hone to that, we will be healthier. Um, and it just takes this, it takes all of this mental construct out of it. Um, it just takes all of that. I mean, we know that to be true. We, we just know that 
But yet we have, the, like you said, these arguments, these philosophical arguments, because again, they're based upon belief systems, uh, yeah. not based upon, not based upon truth. You have these argument like, no, you're going to kill the planet if you eat meat. And it's like, uh, I mean, plants eat plants. Plants are carnivorous. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they actually eat the microfungal, right? The, the, the uh, mycorrhizal fungal that's in the ground. They're carnivorous. They eat, that's a, that's a fungi. They eat the fungi. Like we, that's the law of nature is right. something eats, eats and then something that's more intelligent eats that thing and something more intelligent eats that thing. We know that to be true. Right. And we just happen to be on the highest end of that. And so that's why I think we're, we're handcuffed with all of these arguments because we actually get to choose nowadays. Right. When before there wasn't a choice. Absolutely. You ate a cricket. In fact, if you were hungry and that cricket was, you ate that cricket, right? <laughs> if there was honey around and you had a bunch of bees, you got stung a whole lot to get that honey. <laughs> Right. <laughs> oh yeah. Do you think I've thought a lot about that seasonal eating concept? Do you think? Do you think that's more kind of like ancestral and genetic based in the sense of if you have Northern European DNA, essentially, you should you should eat like a Northern European versus even if you live on the equator, that's probably going to be optimal for you? you. So, I mean, again, think about air travel. We never. I mean, I'm uh, German. Uh, Irish heritage, I think. I never saw Texas, Austin, Texas, ever. You know, my heritage never did until the advent of the airplane or the boat or whatever, right? Sure. This is a splash in the pan through evolutionary biology. So, yes, the ideal, optimal is you take somebody with certain genetic heritage, you put them in that exact genetic environment at that latitude, longitude, and they eat exactly what is provided for that latitude, longitude. Sure. But that's just not realistic right. nowadays. So we have to hone to those. So you might, we know that the human being is super adaptable. This is the whole thing with genetics versus epigenetics. Mm -hmm. So if you put a Northern European on the equator, they're going to get sunburned a lot (laughs) because they're not developed with that. But also they, they would be better off eating the local food because it's grown in the right environment. It's the most nutritious and all of that, then trying to import food from Northern Europe and only eating that. Right. Right. So we, we know that, that, that genetics is the gun and epigenetics pulls the trigger. So you, we're super adaptable. Um, we're more adaptable with our nutrition than we think. Now, will we live a hundred percent optimal? Is it perfectly designed? No, but it's just the modern context of which we live in. So what I try to do is eat, as close to, to Austin, Texas on the 30, I think we're on the 32nd latitude as I can. You're right. When blueberries are not at the farmer's market, I'm not eating blueberries grown in Washington. Mm-hmm. Right. Or, um, I'm not eating, um, you know, papaya, uh, that's grown in, in, you know, Hawaii. Right. Unless I'm there. Right. Because we know, we now know, and this gets into like the quantum, um, the, the quantum biology uh, side of it, that, your body based upon the rays, like the, the, the certain solar uh, rays, it knows what to expect. So it knows in dim light situations, I should suspect this type of food because this type of food is not grown in low light environments, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We know that photosynthesis is the base of the whole food system, right? Right, right. The photosynthesis determines which, how plants grow at certain times. Herbivores eat those plants. Carnivores eat the herbivores, right? We know that that's the, the whole cycle of this. Um, so again, the seasonal aspect, I think, is key. You can't change your ancestry. I can't change that. 
I mean, I'm not going to learn German at 41 and go, go live in, in the black forest of, uh, of German, uh, Germany there, sure, sure. um, where I, I came from. My last name is Schwartz, which means black in German. So I think I came from the black forest <laughs> area. So I'm not going to go live there again and eat whatever they eat. Sure. Right? So I, I have to kind of do what's best in this, in this environment. Same thing with our movement talk is, mm-hmm. is how do I, how do I move the best I can in an environment that might be more urban right? instead of just, you know, go away from society, live out into the woods, <laughs> grow a big, long beard and only like, you know, chop down my own, you know, wood for my cabin. Right? Right. I'm not going to do that. Right. So yeah, it's like, there's a guy, his name's John Durant. He was, mm-hmm. he had a, you, you're familiar with him? His yeah, uh, hunter gatherer. Read his book. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's a wild yeah. man. He, uh, I just remember him, you know, being in New York city and I was following his blog and his blog was hunter gatherer. And he was like essentially trying to live like a caveman hunter gatherer in the city. And it was, it was really cool just to see all these little, I, the best word I would say would be tactics to kind yeah. of rewild his environment but not, you know, go off grid and uh, grow the beer. Well, that's what I do. I think about that when I go into the, the grocery store or if I'm in another city, it's your hunter-gatherer. So how can I find the best, healthiest food in this environment? So you kind of get back to that primal sense of like, I'm searching, I'm hunting here. I'm saying, okay, this store has this kind of meat that I, that's really healthy. And this store has this kind of uh, vegetables I'm really healthy. And can I plan that? Right. So I think about those things. Or oh, how can I move? I'm in this confined. I was just in for Thanksgiving break. I was up with my wife's family. It's like, in this environment, how can I move authentically? You know, I, I can't do exactly what I want to do. Right. But how do I, how, how can I reframe this mindset instead of always striving for perfection? Sure. Cause I, I don't ever want to let good be the enemy or perfection be the enemy of good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm always, I'm always thinking about that. So plants and animals. That's, that's it. That's it. <laughs> like, so what do you eat? Plants and animals. That's well, it. like, no, like, like, what are your macros? Well, I mean, like we never knew macros. Right. Like we, and again, another thing, we don't eat calories. We don't eat macros. You eat food. Right. So you like, so worry about food. We, again, it goes to exercise and movement, right? We've taken, we've broken down food to macros, micros, um, calories, just like we broke down movement into bench press, pull up, squat. So these are psychological, con- these are, these are, ma- this is made up. Like that's what, when, when a professor once told me, we use the term psychological construct, but a psychological construct is really made up. It's just made up. It's just like a story. So we, the story of food is protein, carbohydrate, calories, uh, fat, saturated fat, unsaturated. We never, we never worried about hunter gatherers. You had the the animal was killed. You ate, you weren't like, oh, this this caribou is actually sixty percent unsaturated, <laughs> uh, monounsaturated, and this is. It's like no, we didn't. We just ate what was available, and our body. What people don't realize too is your body changes everything. So your body takes in basically food as the raw materials, and it will create what it needs to create out of those raw materials. So this is why we know that like. If I took in a certain amount of vitamin C, it doesn't necessarily attribute into my body that way. I'll actually use what I need and remove. So it's not like A equals B again. If I eat this, I will get this. It doesn't, that doesn't matter. 
your body will take A and it will, what do I need with A? I can turn A into ampersand. I can turn A into hashtag. I can turn A into yellow. I can turn A into a brick. I, 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 the magic of the body is in there. We, we think we can outthink nature. We can't outthink nature. We, we, we have this great brain that can, <laughs> that can develop the internet. that can develop the iPhone, which is awesome. But we have this fascination that we can outthink nature. I, always, I, I love the quote, man is the only animal smart enough to create its own food and dumb enough to actually eat it. Oh, absolutely. Is that Michael Pollan? I think it's Michael Pollan. Okay. okay. And, uh, I, I think it's where, yeah, I think it's where I heard it. But okay. I love that, like, there's, you can't outthink adaptation. You can't outthink evolution. You can't, nature has already got it figured out. Nature has got everything that we think is this anomaly. Nature has it figured out. Like I just on the side, like people talk about like climate change or like, Hey, we got to do something for the planet. It's like, we don't have to worry about the planet. We got to worry about ourselves. Right. <laughs> Cause one thing we know about the planet, it's going to keep going. We might not keep going. Sure. Sure. <laughs> so it's not the planet like that. The, nature's got it figured out. Nature. You're a little uh, bug on nature's arm. Nature going to flick you right off. Right. Nature's got to figure it out. What we want to do is be in this symbiotic relationship with nature, just like the bacteria in our guts, the, the fungi um, all over us. We want to be in this symbiotic relationship where we, nature provides for us and we, we are there to take advantage of that and hopefully do some good for nature, Right. which yeah. I think we're failing at. But we'll yeah, no, that's, <laughs> I have uh like I said, I spent a lot of time in the wilderness and parks and I have, um, mm-hmm. some thoughts on that, but I'll save that for a different conversation. Hey man, I, this was a pleasure. I think the monkeys are going to love it. And it, it's, it's so like first principle based. I just, I, I really, again, I really appreciate you and your message and how, how well thought you are about all these things. And it's, um, like I said, I'm still down in the Valley, but you're helping me climb out. So Thanks for taking well, the time and I appreciate it. I'll tell you what, I appreciate you to the fact that you just emailed me out of the blue and was like, <laughs> Hey, I dug what you said. I think you, I think you can help me and help my listeners. Um, I mean, I was blown away. I was oh, like, thanks, man. that's when I got back to you right away. I was like, sure, I'll do it. Thank you. Cause I love talking about this stuff and I like people that are, that are moving the ball forward. Right. Um, so I appreciate you. I mean, I'll, I'll anytime you want to talk, I'm down. Um, but I appreciate what you're doing. Thanks, man. Yeah, we're, you know, we, I want to, it's very important to me that we're, essentially what we do is we make training tools for home and outside. So I, I want to make sure we're making good things, but also providing methodology and principles behind it that are actually going to help people and make them better. So having yeah. a conversation like this that folks can listen to is, um, just it's so helpful to the community and, and me. So again, thank you. Oh, thank you. Hey monkeys, Logan Schwartz, the scientist, philosopher, naturalist, and of course, wild man. So if you want to check out Logan, he is at Austin vitality coach.com. And I'll also put links to the other podcast I've listened to him as well. So such just, this is a conversation. Like I said, I'll be listening to several times and, Logan's like a scientist, philosopher, naturalist, all kind of bundled in to this wild man package. So again, thank you so much to Logan for coming on the show. 
and monkeys. If you guys have questions, if there's topics you guys want to hear about, send us a note, let us know. We'll keep the conversation and we'll keep getting wilder. Monkey on. Thank you.